0: everyone today's Bible readings from Joshua chapter 6 verse 1 through to 21 now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites no one went out and no one came in then the Lord said to Joshua see I had I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men march around the city once with all armed men Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And then he ordered the army advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard following the, followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord The seven priests, carrying the seven trumpets, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. On the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, "'except that on, the day they, on that day they circled the city seven times. "'The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, "'Joshua commanded the army, "'Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. "'The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. "'Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house "'shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. "'But keep away from the devoted things.' So that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will will make camp of of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in. And they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys.
1: Thanks, Susan. Oh, good morning, everybody. We're, I'm, I'm standing up and stretching after sitting for a long time. So, my suggestion is you've got 30 seconds to stand up and to change three places. You can't sit in the same seat again. You've got to move three places. All right? Ready, set, go. 30 seconds. <coughs> Stretch while you're doing it. <coughs> If you can't count three, you can phone a friend, but I'm sure. All right, that's it. Awesome. Well done. You should have a different perspective now. All right, everyone stretch a little bit with us. We're going to give uh, the Word some attention. Good morning, my name's Andrew. For those of you that don't know and you would have heard from Roy, I'm one of the pastors here and it's my privilege to, um, lead, you, uh, to lead you in the Word this morning and also it's exciting to see so many people here with us. And I heard good things from the convention, so um, I reckon you guys have already been blessed and hopefully today we'll just bless you just a little bit more. So uh, we've um, last week I... I um, we kind of started looking at, at, at a new year and um, we began to look at a few things um, that we might need to be aware of or to think about in a new year as individuals and as a church. And I was thinking of today and um, today is kind of like the day where a lot of people come and go back to work or like this week is the kind of the week where people go back to work. And so you're probably not excited about the new year, some of you, and um, the rest of you I hope you are we um, wanted to keep some things in mind as a new year often uh, represents change and transition Um, for everybody when you when you kick into a new year you're either going to start a new level of school you're going to do new things at your job you're going to go from school to university or you're going to change houses or you know you you're going to start a relationship that's what happens after convention right I was talking to one young person and and I said, Why aren't you at convention? I said, Oh, that's right, you've got a girlfriend. You know, so, um, no, that's not true. Conventions are are bigger, bigger, bigger than that. But New Years are like that, you know, New Years are like that, not just for individuals, but also for for families, uh, for churches, and particularly we've been looking at us as a church, what a New Year of change and transition might look like and how we would want to be aware of some of the things that, that are important for us to keep our eyes on. And this has been a great story, this, the, Joshua taking the Israelites into the promised land. You know, they're beginning a, a whole new stage in their, their journey into the promised land, exciting. They've been talking about this for 40 years um, and for a long time. And there's been this promise that they're going into this land flowing with milk and honey, this promised land. And you can imagine the buzz but it's going to be a whole and new and different season. Not like the 40 years before, not doing the same stuff, not even living in the same kind of environment, um, perhaps not even using the same kind of shelter and housing. Lots of changes and some big transitions that they were going to have to make to enter into God's long-term plan for them, an exciting plan and something that's great. In Joshua 3, we saw that the key uh, for their first step Was to stay close to the presence of God. We talked about that last week. To watch what God's doing, watch where He's leading and and stay close. Stick with the presence of God. Stick with the ark. And the ark in for the Israelites was the presence of God. That's where God lived. And we saw that, you know, the first thing that Joshua said is keep your eyes on that. You know, and, and it's really important for you to do that. Because it means you'll know what to do and where to go. Um, as safely as possible, uh, where success is going to be, where blessing is going to be, and where you might experience the odd miracle. Um, And they did experience more than the odd miracle, didn't they? They were enemies of of keeping the presence of God central. That was the whole me thing and, and fear, a little bit scared of it. But we saw that for the new things that God had for them, it was imperative above all other things and concerns to stay as close as they could to the presence of God. It worked for them, you know, and, and we, last week at the end of chapter 3, I think we saw that God miraculously took them across this raging river that was in high flood into the their new land and we understood and, and we still understand that this is important for us as individuals and we talked about that last week, That that's really important for us as individuals but also as a church. Particularly, one hope here as we head into a new year of change and transition, that we keep our eyes firmly fixed on the presence of God. What's God doing? Where is He going? What has He already done? Where is He working? Where is He moving? Where is He drawing us? What kind of things is He asking us to, to get into? And I think the key verse we looked at was chapter 3, verse 4. And it was really simple because Joshua said to the people, and this was a prophetic verse for us, you know. Um, He says, watch the ark of the Lord, then you'll know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. A bit like orienteering, isn't it? Places that they'd never been before. And then I alluded to it last week, and what I want to focus on today is obedience. And this was one of the other key things that they had to understand. And, um, you know, I was thinking about obedience this week, and it's a word and it's a, a concept that we don't love. We're not friends with the whole obedience thing, real naturally. We fight it as humans from childhood on. You know, how many, you know, how a kids, so we say, why? Why do I have to do that? You know, um, Roy alluded to it. Why do I have to clean my room? You know, well, I don't want to. So room check at the deckers this afternoon for those that want to go and um, have a look. <clears throat> We test it, we, we challenge it. We, we run from it as, as a natural bent. Obedience is something that we kind of fight, our humanist fights all the time, in a human context, but it also translates into our uh, relationship with God and the way that we deal with the commands and, and the leading of God. You know, as humans, we, we don't do great with instructions. I was reminded of that on last weekend, I was putting together an IKEA piece of furniture. How many of you have ever done that before? You know, and, and, and it went well, by the way. I'm not going to tell a horror story. Sue and I were doing it together. But I was thinking of times that it hasn't gone so well. And I was thinking, you know, there are companies there, you can get a job putting together IKEA furniture now. Did you know that? There are people that do that. If you want to search for a job, you look under the, the category Relationship Help, you know. Because when, you when you're trying to put something together, a couple of years ago... Um, putting a a piece of Ikea furniture together how many of you know that that little instruction book you know the one Allen key that you get and that little instruction book is really important you know if you think that you can skip a few stages oh you're laughing who's done that who's skipped a few stages thinking this doesn't look logical I can do this much faster no you can't because guess what you won't be able to slide the back in if you've already put all the sides and everything on who has ever done that you know See, we don't like to being told what we do. We figure we know a better way when we look at it. I man, I'd probably have done that so many times. But we can see from our text here that without obedience, the Israelites weren't going to see victory. And I guess in our lives, without obedience, we are not going to see the full victory of what God has for us. They already had to exercise obedience in chapter 3, you know, from Joshua to the priests and then to the people. You know, Joshua had to obey. When God spoke to him, he had to tell the priests to step into the river, so the priests had to obey and do it. And then the people had to obey and follow. So in chapter 3, we already saw that obedience was important. Did it all make sense? Most likely not. No one, you know, this raging river, no one did a child-safe analysis. No one did a risk assessment of the river before they went in. No one came up with, and this is, this is my favourite, no one came up with an alternate idea, a better way, a safer one. If we have to go to the other side because God said, well, why don't we build some boats? That would be safer, right? And be more responsible. Uh, surely God's really only concerned that we get there, not so much how we get there. No one did that because God had given specific instructions And that was how it had to be done, making sense or not. And so we jump to chapter 6, and there's some some good stuff in between. We jump to chapter 6, and we see it again. They're about to take Jericho. Jericho was their first, it represented their first conquest, if you like, in the Promised Land. This was the first city that they were going to take. This was going to be Joshua's test, if you like. He was going to have to take the people in to conquer that to take in their promised land. It isn't a huge city, if you're wondering, and probably a lot of you already know this, but it's actually not a big city. You can actually walk around it in an hour, depending on how fast you walk. You can saunter around it in two, but you can walk around it in an hour. But it was hugely fortified, really strong walls, uh, high and strong. The people in Jericho were afraid. Back in chapter two, we read last week um, that they were that they were afraid. Where when uh, back in chapter two, where the spies were, where Rahab the prostitute hides them, and they kind of wonder what's going on. And chapter two, verse five, she says to them, "I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. They were fearful." And so they had fortified their city because they knew the Israelites were over the other side of the Jordan and stuff was about to happen. So then it's not a big city. They can walk around in an hour. They're a big army. There is high walls and, and heavy walls. But you can imagine they're probably thinking this should be a piece of cake. We're a good army. We're tough. We'll have this done in no time. We'll be home for happy hour. You can imagine them thinking it'll all be good. We'll, we'll be right. But God says to Joshua in our reading in chapter, two, in chapter 6 from 2 to 5, He said, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, that's good news, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry the trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around it seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast, have the whole army give a loud shout and the wall will come down. So he says this to Joshua, but he doesn't say this to the whole army. Joshua's job now is to obey God's command, to, to get the army to do that. So Joshua gets the army together. And you see that in verse 6 through 8. He doesn't repeat what, what God says. He doesn't say, look, guys, this is what's going to happen. We're going to walk around the, the, the thing in one day and and, you've got to, you know, and they're going to blow the trumpets. But don't panic. You know, we're, you know, we're going to do this six times and the seventh time it should all... He doesn't go through that at all. He just gets them together and says, let's go and march around the city. And note that the ark, the first thing that they're going to put there is the presence of God. Just as a bit of an echo from last week. That everywhere they go, the ark, God's presence, is to go with them. So he doesn't give them all the specific. He just tells them step one. He doesn't explain the whole thing. Then he says, advance. Let's go. So they needed to trust in Joshua's leadership. They needed to obey Joshua. You know, I was thinking, what were their expectations? You know, Monday morning, uh, they leave home with their lunch pack and their wife says, what are you going to be doing today? We're taking Jericho. Oh, mighty warrior of mine, I'm so proud of you, you know. Off you go, my man, we're going to go take Jericho. You can imagine that, can't you? Because that's what all you wives do, don't you, when they go out for work in the morning, that's true. You know, and so the guys go out thinking, we're going to take Jericho. We're going to march around and so we're going to take Jericho. And they march around in, and let's say it takes them an hour and then Joshua says, let's go back to camp. You know, what were they thinking? What did they think after day one? Imagine... The chatter, as they set up camp again, as they, you know, this is way before happy hour. We haven't even had our lunch packs yet, you know. Can you imagine what they were thinking? Well, what was that for? Not one brick fell out of that wall. Nothing happened. What's Joshua thinking? Maybe Joshua's lost the plot. But then, you know, I know, Joshua's probably just checking out the lay of the land. We're just going around and we're just going to have a look at how many bricks there actually are, how thick the wall is, you know, stomp the ground a little bit, see if the bricks move. Maybe, and tomorrow it'll be on. It'll all be good. You know, and they get home and, oh, mighty warrior, you're home again. You know, did you enjoy your lunch? What, you know, would you like? You know, How did you go today? You know, did you conquer, Josh? Did you conquer Jericho for us? Well, no, actually, we didn't. We just walked. But then they do it again for six more days. Can you imagine a conversation after, you know, day two? three now can you imagine each day less people turn up you know what that's like don't you when you do it? less people turn up this is ridiculous I have better things to do with my day today I've got grass to cut no, toenails to polish wife wants some pictures hung you, know, you can imagine uh, this is crazy so less and less people would be turning up I'm way more skilled than this I didn't train to fight just to walk behind some musicians blowing a trumpet And if this is what taking the promised land is going to look like, it's going to get old really quick. You can imagine, as humans, that's what. Now, I'm not saying they did that, and clearly they probably didn't. Maybe the whole obedience thing was a lot stronger then. But you can imagine. And here's the thing about obedience, isn't it? It isn't always logical. Obedience doesn't always make sense. Obedience can look ridiculous. And you can't always see why I need to do this. Back to the Ikea thing. Why do I need to put that piece in first? It doesn't make sense. But it will at the end. And every one of us honest men will say at the end of an Ikea project, we'll have, "Uh aha. Those of us that aren't honest won't. Obedience isn't only required or necessary if you see the outcome or you know what's going to happen. And I think that's really important. It was important for the Israelites to understand that. It's important for us to understand that. It's really easy to march for six days if you know what's going to happen on the 7th. It's easy to sacrifice and do it if you understand it all. Obedience for Joshua, the priests and the army, was about submission, wasn't it? God had a plan, a good plan, and God knew what he was doing. God knew that he had the plan a long time ago, and he knew what he was doing. And, you know, by the way, God, when he does something, and I was sharing this with someone this week, God never is only doing that one thing that you see. You know, we just see, they just see God is ta- he's helping them take in, in, um, in Jericho. But God is doing a bunch of other stuff. He's teaching individuals in there something, a lesson they need to learn. He's helping people do different things and understand different things from one situation. God is never just doing one thing. And he knows what he's doing. And he knew what was needed for them to follow his lead and command. You know, personally, I don't, I don't know why God did it that way. I could speculate. Was it to test their level of submission and, uh, and the, whether they would follow because there was going to be bigger challenges? Was he going to test them? Maybe. Was it to see if the people would honour and follow those that he put in leadership? Would they, would they follow Joshua all the way? Would they do? You know, was that what it was about? Maybe. I'm not sure. You know, earlier in the Old Testament, if you remember the stories in Genesis of Abraham and then later Abraham, Abraham. another time that God was making major moves, shifting his people around. In Genesis 12, Abraham settled and then one day God says to him, Abraham, he was still then, God says to him, you know, get your stuff, get your family, get your things and go to a place that I'll show you. He didn't tell him where, he just said, pack and go. You know, most of us would be happy to go to the airport with our suitcase if we knew we had a ticket and we knew we were going. But what if you were brushing your teeth in the morning and God said, pack your suitcase and go to the airport. I'll let you know when you're on your way where you're going. How many of you would be confident to go to mum and dad or wife or husband and say, we're off? Where are we going? I don't know. And well, that's what happened with Abraham. God said to go. And then later in Genesis 22, we all know that story where... where the, the, the promise, the son, Isaac, you know, he's finally here. I'm 100 years old and, well, I'm actually 116-ish now because Isaac's about 16, but I'm pretty proud of him. And this is the beginning of that promise that my offspring are going to be more than the sands of the seashore and more than the stars in the sky. And guess what? I'm starting with this one and he's a real good one. And then God says to him one morning, and we all know what, what God says. God says, take your son, your only son, the one you love. Rubs his nose in it just a little. And take him and sacrifice him. That didn't make any sense at all, did it? How am I going to obey that? Imagine going home to your wife on that one. What are you going to do tomorrow, Abraham? More stuff. Obedience is not always logical, and and you know we saw it with Abraham and Abraham and Abraham, but Abraham's obedience wasn't based on understanding. It wasn't even based on agreeing with God's ideas or being able to see the outcome. We do because we see the story at the back end. We know what happened. He got up there and he raises the knife and, you know, the music increases and he's about to drop the knife and then this voice says, stop. And all of our hearts go, you know, we pick up the drop popcorn if we're watching the movie and, you know. But he didn't know that, did he? He didn't know that was going to happen. He had to have that conversation with his son where his son says, Hey, Dad, we got the wood we got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? He, did, he didn't know. We know now that God didn't. He, he thought it was real. If you're reading that story in Genesis 22, the, 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 the very next day he prepares to do it. And he goes and collects, and it says in there, in the words, it says, he goes and collects enough wood. How do you calculate enough wood to burn up a 16 year old? He didn't know that, but we do. He just was called to obey. It's easy to sacrifice if you see why or if you can see what's going to come of it. In each case, God required obedience from his followers, didn't he? We have the benefit when we look at the word of seeing the bigger picture. I always remember a sermon, and some of you might remember, there's a sermon a few years ago where, where Glenn had that big piece of paper and he drew kind of like the Bible from the Old Testament to, to where, where Jesus, through... Through, um, through the Israelites, through the desert, through where Jesus came and the New Testament and on to eternity and just helped see the, the, the bigger picture of the story of God. Anyone remember that? Come on, let's encourage Glenn. We all remember that, don't we? The Old Testament through to the cross, the New Testament and future glory and it made sense of a whole lot and we like it. I can remember liking it because we like it when we can see it all neatly packaged. Hey, yeah, that does make sense. We get to see it from the back end. God was always and is always looking and working. Even when we don't see it, it might not always look logical though, hey? But then, logic or the right way is often our interpretation, isn't it? So like last week, there's this great lesson here for us. Maybe for you as an individual, maybe for you as a family, definitely for us as a church, as we embark on a new year, maybe as an individual you've got dreams and, and ideas and, and goals and hopes. And maybe there's going to be changes and, and challenges, some exciting ones and, and some that excite you a little less that you think aren't, you're not really looking forward to. And for us as a church, as we uh, embark on a new year with the normal changes that a new year brings, you know, kids grow up, ministries change and adapt as well as some of the bigger ones that we are confronting this year. We don't and we won't always get God. It won't always make sense. It won't always fit into the usual way we do stuff. God may lead us into places like he did in in chapter 3. You've never been this way before. He may take us to places that we've never been before. That could be true for you as an individual. It could be true for us as a church. We won't always agree or see the way. You know, I can imagine there were some great, like I said, some great campfire discussions in the soldiers' camp or family discussions. How many of you know we have these family discussions about church? In the old days, we used to call it, you know, Sunday lunch was roast the pastor or the music team or, or something like that, you know. Can you imagine some of those campfire discussions? What is Joshua up to? Did he really hear from god right did he did he get that right did he misinterpret something because we don't fight like this our system operates differently you can imagine the soldiers talking to each other and they're each other up you know i'm not really feeling comfortable with this the way that we're doing this you know i'm not i'm not sure you know i'm, I'm more comfortable with the way we used to do it and i've actually i've heard that other armies do it better you know that you know that i've heard that other people do it this way they do it better You know, I'm sure that God doesn't operate like this. For 40 years, God always worked that way, not like this. This can't be God, can't be a Christian. Joshua's got it wrong. He just wants to change stuff. You know, Joshua just comes in this young guy, he just wants to change stuff. We've been doing it this way for 40 years, and he just wants to change stuff. Moses would never have done it like that. You know? Moses was cool, he knew what he was doing. Yeah, maybe they didn't do that, I'm making it up. What about for us personally? Yeah, we have the same. I can't see how this can work. It doesn't make sense. Surely, you know, as an individual, surely God wouldn't want me to do that. Surely God wouldn't want me to give up that or change that because he wants to bless me, right? They're the songs that I'm singing. That's the stuff I'm reading at the moment. He wants to bless me and, 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 and I need to feel comfortable in my life. Surely God would want me to be responsible, not take silly risks. I have a family, a future, a whatever. And we always did it that way anyway. I was listening to a Tim Keller sermon, and we love Tim Keller here, don't we? And um, he said, uh, just this line caught me. It wasn't about obedience, this sermon at all, but this line caught caught me by surprise. He said this, if the Lord is your Lord, there can be no conditions at all on your obedience to him. None. Now, Tim Keller gets away with uncompromising way better than most of us do because he just says it so wisely that you think, I can't even get around that. But it's striking, isn't it? If the Lord is your Lord, there can be no conditions on your obedience to him. Because, you see, obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's and sometimes that's where we get mixed up my responsibility is obedience God's responsibility is outcome whereas I'm a guy that wants to work on the outcome all the time and you know what that's like and in times of change and transition we need to be ready to obey remember watch out for look for the presence of God and then go with it or you might drown that was what happened last week remember chapter 3 who you know, who thought that walking through a raging Jordan at full flood make any, made any sense at all? No one did. And yet that's what they were asked to do. And when they did it, they saw an amazing, amazing miracle, didn't they? I mean, that water, and I said this last week, that water didn't just stop and there, was a, there wasn't this nice little pathway for all the Israelites to file their way through. The water stopped something like two or three towns up and, and just gathered I don't know what gathered water looks like when it's flowing. And I think, what about the fish? But anyway, so it wasn't just this. They saw an amazing miracle because they did what he asked them to do. And they trusted God. And one of the keys, I think, for obedience for us is trust, isn't it? First, we need to trust God. We need to trust that he does actually know what he's doing and he knows why. Trust that he does have and is working a plan and it will be good. You know, you probably all heard that story of the whole tapestry idea. Have you ever heard that tapestry? I always think of Johan because Johan likes to tell that story too and, and, and it's a great story. You know, a tapestry looks pretty rank or, or doesn't look real good from the back at all. There's bits of, bits of, you know, what is that stuff? Not wool, what is it? cotton whatever it is there's bits of stuff and a tapestry from behind and particularly when it's not finished looks pretty ugly and it doesn't make any sense when you turn it around you see a beautiful picture it's like that with God there is a plan and for the Israelites there was a plan and that whole sense that it will be a good plan we need to trust in it Abraham and Joshua trusted God and they genuinely needed that they had nothing else to hold on to in times of incredible transition, change and movement. Joshua didn't have a plan B. He was, what was he going to do? He needed to rely on what God was saying. But they'd seen him work. See, Abraham and Joshua, they'd seen God work. And they decided to stake their future and the future of their nations on him. But trust has to go further than that and it had to go further than that. The people had to trust Joshua as well, didn't they? And this was important. They had to trust him not because Joshua never made mistakes but because God had put him in the lead. By the way, leaders make mistakes. Leaders sin. But that's not an excuse for disobedience. You know, there's a story of when the Israelites were going... When the Israelites were in the desert, there's a story of Moses when he marries an Ethiopian woman. And some of you might remember the story. And there was particular, God had said they were not to intermarry, And Moses does. He marries an Ethiopian, which is wrong. It was a sin. It was right. And Moses' sister and Aaron, they figure, nailed it. They had been looking. They were getting a little bit annoyed with Moses' leadership. He was pushing the envelope a little bit, challenging him a little bit. And maybe, you know, they didn't like what he was doing who knows, and I thought, Joshua sin- uh, Moses sinned, we've got him. And so they complain, I don't know how many of you remember this story, look it up if you want, and they complain, they complain to God, and God says, right, go to the tent of meeting. And they're thinking, this is it, Moses is going to get it in the neck, you know, he's done the wrong thing, he's disobeyed God. And how many of you remember, do you know what happened in that story? They get in the tent, and they're there, and then God calls Aaron and Miriam, I think it was? Miriam to the, to the door of the tent, Joel, John, you'll know this, he calls them to the door of the tent and they're thinking, Moses is back there, we're going to miss the lightning, Moses is going to get it. And what does God say? How dare you complain about my appointed leader? How dare you? And bam, they get leprosy. It's in the Bible, I didn't make it up. But Moses, ever merciful, begs God, please take the leprosy off. And he does. But, you know, leaders make mistakes and God knows that. There's no excuse to disobey and begin to cause division in the camp against Moses. Did the Israelites ever doubt, grumble or rebel? Well, we know they did. But Joshua, with all his foibles and faults, he led them and the people decided to trust him even when they couldn't see trust persistence we need persistence as well we like immediate results we'd probably be way more obedient if things happened faster or clearer or more logically or the way that we would do it the soldiers were probably looking for results yet not a brick fell you know i'm a warrior not a walker but with our lives as followers of jesus in our normal lives we need to keep our eyes on god in Joshua 3 to 4, you, 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 you'll see that they needed persistence. When they went through the water across the Jordan, the priests had to stay in the middle until the last people came through. And this wasn't 150 people. This was in the millions. And they had to stay in the water until the last come, one came through. They had to stick with it. And it took a long time, but if they didn't, someone would die. So they did. Even when Abraham couldn't see the why or the when as he was settling in a new place with an awkward cousin talk, he stuck with it. He couldn't see how he'd have a kid at 100, but he stuck with it, trusting. He was led astray a little bit by his wife, and Ishmael was the, the, um, the fruit of that, but he kept to the plan. And as a church, we know that God has us here for a reason, don't we? We know that God's given us each person, each partner, each ministry leader, and each church leader, and we know that he's called us. And we can easily lose sight of it when changes or challenges come. When people leave, when leaders leave, our comfort level gets challenged, etc. But we need to keep obeying the old, unchanged commands that we know that God gave us, but also the new ones. Because even here at One Hope and in your life, there's a story being told. There's a tapestry being weaved. God's doing it. Doesn't always look great, doesn't always make a bunch of sense, isn't always comfortable or predictable, and it's not always risk-free. But God is working. Our job is to trust and obey. And those of you, if I say, how many of you remember that old song, Trust and Obey? I was reminded of that this week. I don't think I've sung that since I was a kid. But what a brilliant song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. The Israelites knew that. I kind of think there's three or four other ways. I'll try. But there isn't. But whilst Joshua and Abraham and others are great examples of obedience, I guess by far the greatest example of obedience for us is Jesus, isn't it? Way beyond human obedience. This was cosmic obedience. This was enormous. Abraham and Joshua, they were good. But Jesus was very good. His obedience was amazing. The ultimate act of obedience. He left his father's side. He left the comfort the love of the relationship, everything to obey his Father's call to live amongst us and ultimately die for me and for you. There is no greater example. There is no greater risk taker. There is no greater sacrificer. There is no greater determined saviour than Jesus Christ. There is no greater example of obedience than Jesus Christ. If we need someone to look at when obedience gets tough, then we look to Christ. And then you realize we have a long way to go. If it doesn't make sense or we can't see logic, we look to Christ and realize that He totally defied logic and reason for us. So obedience isn't or wasn't just relegated to you and me as the plebs, as the little followers. Jesus Himself realized that obedience was going to be key to eternity with us so that eternity with us could be achieved so that you and i could be with him in glory took jesus to obey from our perspective it might have looked crazy as much as it did for him but he knew his father and he knew he needed to obey we're going to celebrate lord's supper You've, you've seen that here and you know when we do that's what we celebrate we we celebrate that absolute obedience, that amazing obedience that Jesus exercised that totally changed our lives. We don't just do this because it ends up being on our schedule and we think, oh yeah, we've got to do Lord's Supper this week. We do it because it means something. It, 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 It reminds us, and each time it might remind us of something a little different, but it reminds us today that there was someone that knew obedience even better than Joshua, even better than Abraham, and certainly better than you and I know, and that obedience means that we now live in freedom. I have been set free from the chains of death and sin, and so of you, because Jesus was obedient. You see, Jesus' obedience would lead him to suffer a death that would be painful. Not just physically painful, although it was physical. remember that he was fully man. So it was physically painful for him as well. His obedience led him to suffer a death that would be painful. But more striking, the pain of separation from his father. Obedience cost Jesus much. But it was a price that he was willing to pay. So that today, you and I can know that our lives have been taken from hopeless to hopeful. Before Jesus, our future was hopeless. After Jesus, our future is hopeful. From lost to found, from separated from God's love to intimately connected with him. We get to pray the way that John led us in prayer. We get to talk to God. We get to call on God for direction in our life. We have that intimacy because of what Jesus did. He took us from a temporary life to now being able to have an eternal life. What a gift and what a saviour. What an amazing thing that he was willing to obey. If that's your experience, if you know that, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you know that you've been you've, you were lost and you've found and you've been taken from hopeless to hopeful, if you know that that's true for you, if you know that Jesus died for your sins and you've made a decision to belong to him, then I want to invite you to celebrate with us today. you know right back, remembering and celebrating that is really good, thinking back to that, and it's good because Jesus commanded us to do that, didn't he? He, At the last supper he had with, um, with his disciples and, and, and he knew what was coming. And he shared and he, and he talked about dying and, and he took the bread and as they were about to eat, he had given thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I did. In the same way... After they'd eaten, after the supper, they, they were, he took the cup and they were about to enjoy and imbibe together. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant and in my blood. Do this also. You know, when you're together, do this and remember in remembrance of me. And whenever you eat this bread and, and whenever you, you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. You know, I used to think that was funny, and I've said that here before, you know, proclaim God's death. But it's a good thing to proclaim God's death to each other. It's good to proclaim the death of Christ to each other and say, that's how obedient he was for you. Do you get it? You know, shake the person next to you. Do you get it? How cool that is? I'm going to invite our leaders forward. I'm going to invite you to to celebrate with us this morning. Um, So if I can get our leaders to come on forward and we're going to um, create two places where you can grab the elements and go back to your, your seats and wait, and we'll celebrate it together. So we, just before we do it, let's just pray, just bow our heads, and, and say, thank you, God, for the opportunity we have right before us now to celebrate this, to remember that you, in an ultimate act of obedience, came and died for our sins. That's what we want to remember as we take the bread and the cup this morning, And Lord, Holy Spirit, we just want to pray that it would impact our hearts today, that you would open up the closed parts of our heart, that there would be an impact, that we would recognize again afresh just how much Jesus did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.